the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Your perspective of God, getting to know him, what he's like, not just the things about God, but what God is like will determine how you behave. If you view God as someone who doesn't have a high standard of holiness, your whole lifestyle will be a low standard of holiness. It really is important that we have a view and a vision of God of what he's really like. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. It'll change your behavior. But there's another incentive to our godly living. It isn't just God's holiness. Let me backtrack a moment. Some months ago, a new believer said to me, he said, now that I'm a Christian, why should I act any different? I don't know whether he was serious about not acting any different. I'd question his salvation if he was. But he said, all right, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. Why be different? Well, if you've wondered that question, if you've wondered about that, this is the passage for you. Why be different? Because God is holy. And he says, you ought to be holy. If you're his child, you ought to be holy. Greetings, and welcome to today's verse-by-verse radio program. Today on our program, among other topics, we are going to answer this question. What influences you in how you behave as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, some possible options people might suggest are how they were raised, or the Bible, or whether or not someone goes to church. There are others we could add as well. On our program today, Pastor Steve Kreloff is going to answer that question by looking in God's Word. And I think you're going to find the answer is very enlightening. We are currently in our series in the book of 1 Peter. One of the main topics has been facing trials and why they happen in our lives. The Apostle Peter was preparing his readers for trials that would soon come their way. And so for us today, that preparation for trials is also very important. So as we jump into 1 Peter once again, I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to make today's session very clear to you. You know, our view of God really influences how we behave. That's why I believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God and the holiness of God. It's so easy to forget that in our day and age. There's a song that says, take time to be holy. The second stanza says this, take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Your perspective of God, getting to know him, what he's like, not just the things about God, but what God is like will determine how you behave. If you view God as someone who doesn't have a high standard of holiness, your whole lifestyle will be a low standard of holiness. 
It really is important that we have a view and a vision of God of what he's really like. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. It'll change your behavior. But there's another incentive to our godly living. It isn't just God's holiness. Let me backtrack a moment. Some months ago, a new believer said to me, he said, now that I'm a Christian, why should I act any different? I don't know whether he was serious about not acting any different. I'd question his salvation if he was. But he said, all right, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that. Why be different? Well, if you've wondered that question, if you've wondered about that, this is the passage for you. Why be different? Because God is holy. And he says, you ought to be holy. If you're his child, you ought to be holy. But there's another incentive. God is our father. Verse 17. And if you address as father, let's stop there. When trials come, we've got to remind ourselves that God the father is behind it ultimately. And we've got to realize that God is a father, a loving father, not a cosmic killjoy, not someone who's out to mess up your life, but he's there in in his loving concern, allowing these trials and sometimes sending these trials directly because he wants to build into you obedience. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We looked at this passage last week, and I realized as I was studying it this week that it opened up a whole new dimension to me. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, because it's precious and pertinent to what we're dealing with. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes or focusing our attention on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now that's where we left off last week, and we saw it's necessary. Jesus suffered. He's going to be exalted. We will suffer, and our suffering, we will be exalted. But look at this. Verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. God is addressing it to you not as slaves, not as servants, but as sons. And here's what he has to say. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Many times our trials are disciplines. They're disciplinary action from God. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you don't know what a trial is in the Christian life, if you've never been disciplined by God, God says you're illegitimate. You're not really mine. Because with mine, I deal with them as children, as sons, because I'm perfecting their faith, I'm purifying them, I'm testing them. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. That's what we're talking about. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, God deals with us as a father deals with his children and he disciplines us and sends us trials so that we might be trained 
to live properly. Do you see that? God disciplines us so that we might be encouraged to live a holy life. And so what is the incentive for living a godly life? That God is our Father. And you see, when our Father deals with us, there's nothing more than what a child wants to do than please his Father. There's nothing greater for a child to do than to please his dad. But sometimes we can forget that God is our Father. And we forget that he treats us as children. We just think that he treats us to get back at us and It's likely that we can become bitter and resentful and disturbed by how God deals with us. And that's why God says, don't despise his discipline. And God says that because it's so easy to grow bitter and despise what God is doing with you. But God says, listen, I'm training you to live a righteous and holy life. And it's necessary that you go through some tough times in order to become holy in your behavior. What's an incentive to be holy? When you're going through trials and suffering, to know that God is our Father. He has every right to deal with us the way he would. You know that? God has every right to deal with you as severely as he wants. Everything is of God's grace. You deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. God is our Father, and we want to behave properly in order to please him. There's another incentive, as if this isn't enough. God is our judge. He goes on in verse 17, And if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. It's unhealthy to view God only as a loving father, because sometimes we get this mushy sentimentality concerning God as if he's father time. And you do something and he just smacks your hand and says, well, you just go on. Everything's okay. The Bible says that not only is God a loving father, but he's a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge, and he judges without any favor to any child of his because he's impartial. This word impartial in the Greek literally means he does not receive face. In other words, it means that God doesn't receive anyone's face. He's impartial. One commentary says this, Outward appearance and wealth, culture, social position, family, background, education, beauty, intellect, all the things that more or less sway the opinions of men do not count with God when it comes to appraising a person's character or his worthiness. God isn't interested in that. He doesn't treat one child of his any different than another child in the sense that he's impartial. God couldn't care less what you look like. Remember David, when Samuel was looking over all of Jesse's children and he was looking for beauty and looks and surely this one must be the king of Israel. This one must be the king of Israel. God said, no, none of them. And Samuel said, I suppose in frustration, do you have any other children? He said, well, there's this little shepherd boy in the back. You couldn't be interested in him. God said, I am interested in him because God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. And God says, I judge impartially. And I judge based on your works. I judge based on how you respond. There's coming a day that God says that he is going to judge us, not of our sins, That's been taken care of at Calvary. But God is going to be the judge that we stand before, and he's going to judge us. We're going to have to give account based on how we responded to all kinds of situations in this life, how we handled trials. Did we internalize scripture? What was our attitude? What was our response? You can fake it. You can spit in the soup, but you can have the wrong attitude. You can fake it. A great incentive for godly behavior comes when we recognize that someday we will stand before God. He is our judge. 
It's inevitable that you're going to suffer in life. And it's inevitable that you're going to be glorified. And it's also inevitable that you're going to stand before God as a judge. And if all those things are inevitable, it only makes sense that we begin to live in the light of that, that someday we'll give an account of our works. It may seem now, just like we said, when you go through trials, it seems like it will never end. It may seem that life will never end. But possibly tonight, one of us will be ushered into God's presence. It may be me. It may be you. And this life will be over. And you will have no other chances to respond properly to life situations, to trials, to testings, to sufferings, to persecutions, to those things that annoy us. We ought to get our act together. Peter says, conduct yourselves properly, and your conduct should be characterized by fear during your time of your stay upon earth. Our time is short. Someday it will all be in the past. As someone said, and only what's done for Jesus will last. Vine, in his dictionary of word studies, defines fear, because it says that we ought to pass the time in fear. He defines this word fear as reverential fear of God as a controlling motive of the life. In matters spiritual and moral, not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing him. A fear which banishes the terror that shrinks from his presence and which influences the disposition and attitude of one whose circumstances are guided by trust in God. It's more than just respect. It's a healthy fear, not a fear that trembles in the corner, but a fear that doesn't want to sin. I hope my son has that proper fear of me. Not that when I come in and I say, hello, or how's everything going, that he runs to his room because he's afraid of me. But I want him to know that while I love him and I receive him when he sins, I want him to fear. I want him to sweat it out. I want him to know that it's going to be rough, that sin has its consequences. I don't want him just to respect me. I want him to fear when I pick up that paddle, that there is fear in his eyes. Now, I want you to understand that God says it ought to be the same way. And understand me, it's not the kind of fear that shrinks back, trembling, but it's the kind of fear that says, I love you, I will not sin, because I do not want to suffer the consequences. It is more than just respect. Proverbs 16, 6 says, And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When men fear God as a judge, they depart from evil. One Bible teacher tells the story of how time after time, Men have attacked women, about to rape them. They're Christian women, and they would say, you can't touch me except by God's permission because I belong to Jesus Christ, and he's not going to let anything happen to me that's not in his will. And those men have departed. And that's what the word of God says. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. That's not just for wicked people who would do things like that. It's for all of us. When you recognize that God is a righteous judge, it will change your behavior No matter what the trials are, that someday this life will be passed, it will give you a healthy attitude towards sin and towards God. One Bible teacher said, The fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. Someday we're going to stand before him. He's going to weigh those things, how we responded. What are you responding like in the midst of trials? You respond in bitterness. You respond in vengeance towards God, being silent, not praying to him, as if that's going to get back at God. God knows. God understands. But one incentive to living a holy life is that he is a judge. There's a fourth incentive. God is our redeemer. God is the redeemer. 
verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The word redeemed means to set free by the payment for ransom. It's to set free. In those days when a slave, someone would be taken from a family to become a slave, the family got enough money up, they could simply buy back their family member. And they would buy him back with silver or gold. And they would pay for him and he would be returned to them. And in a sense, he would become their slave. The word of God says that we were in sin's power. We were slaves to sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by his own precious blood, not with silver and gold, not those things that perish, but that eternal blood, that blood of Jesus Christ, was paid as the ransom for our sin. Now we're free. And we become his slave. We belong to him. Now you say, how does this fit in with why we ought to live a holy life? Listen, since Christ has freed us from our futile way of life inherited from our forefathers, we're able to respond in love and gratitude. No longer are we slaves to sin. Now we can respond in love to God and gratitude. And that's what the Christian life is. You don't act holy because you want God to accept you. You act holy because it's a life of gratitude and love for Jesus Christ. I hope you don't act holy trying to get to heaven by that because you'll never make it. Because the word of God says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you really love me, you're going to express that by keeping my word, by a holy obedience to the word of God. He set us free. Therefore, I want my life to be one big thank you to him for all that he's done. But there's another reason. Having purchased us, we now belong to him, don't we? We're not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You don't belong to you anymore. What's that song? This is not Dave Brubaker sings. This is not David's body or David's will anymore. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. You cannot do what you want to do. God has given us that freedom in a sense to disobey him, but you don't belong to yourselves anymore. You're not your own master. Therefore, God says, You are to behave holy because I want you to behave holy. You belong to me. He's the redeemer. Look at verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. This wasn't an afterthought of God. Remember how we began this passage, how we began chapter 1 and dealt with it? We said that God had planned our salvation in election. God had planned it all. God had chosen us. We didn't choose him. We didn't find Jesus. He wasn't lost. He found us. He's chosen us. And I might add that that choice was not made because we chose him. That doesn't even make sense. He chooses us because we chose him. No, he chose us because he chose us. I don't understand it anymore. But we started off by saying that God has planned this salvation. And that's why the people who Peter is writing to, they can endure it. Because there's hope. God planned it. He's going to fulfill it. And now Peter says he's concluding this part concerning hope, the living hope we have. And he's saying, listen, God not only plans it, what I said back here, a few verses, but Jesus Christ was foreordained to die. That it was in the plan of God before eternity. Look at verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. See, that word foreknown does not just mean that God knew ahead of time. Not in this context. God not only knew it ahead of time, God planned that Christ would pay for our sins. God planned it in eternity past. The counsel of God. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit somehow got together and worked this all out, God says it was foreordained. God planned it. You have hope. And then he reminds them, verse 21, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You can have hope when trials come. You can have hope and behave properly because God is holy. You ought to behave holy. God is our father. You ought to live to please him, love him. God is our judge. Someday you will stand before him and you have to give an account of your life. And God is our redeemer. We are bought by him. He owns us. The hymn writer said, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And that's our song. That should be your song in your heart. In this life, there is no deliverance, is there? There really is no hope in this life, except the hope that God gives us that we can have victory in the midst of these trials. You can act and behave in a holy manner because God has given you everything you need to respond properly. There is no excuse. If you're in sin tonight, whether it be an attitude or an action, because you're going through something that's really rough, let me say as sensitively as I can and as tactfully, forget it. God won't take that excuse. God says you are to be holy no matter what you go through. As a matter of fact, the people I know that are the most holy in their behavior are the people who have gone through trials and are going through trials because trials have a way of knocking a lot of cockiness out of us, don't they? Trials have a way of causing us to stop being dependent upon ourselves. Trials have a way of causing us to submit. It's a funny thing. They also have a way of causing us to resist. My prayer for you, myself, is that whatever trial you're going through, you'll respond properly and you'll respond in a holy fashion. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Perhaps you have been battling something. You aren't acting holy. You aren't being spiritual. I don't mean a pseudo-spiritual. Maybe you've been spitting in the soup and faking it. People think that you're really special, but inside your attitude hasn't been right. Let's use the altar tonight. Make it a time where those of you, those of us who are battling with trials and sufferings can come before God at these altar rails and just speak with the Lord and confess your sin and repent and get things straightened out with him. It isn't necessary. You can repent and confess without going to an altar, but it might be a good time. It might be something that's concrete for you to in this time to just come before God and spend time with him concerning your trials and acting like one who's taken the divine nature and not one who's conformed to his former or her former lusts. You feel free to come before God and come to the altar and speak with him. If no one comes, that's fine because that's God's work to deal in your hearts. You can get right with him at any time. And maybe everything is right with him. I don't know. Our father, all of us are in the battlefield. The war has been won by Jesus but the battle goes on raging every day in our lives. None of us know what the others face, what trials we go through. And yet in the midst of that, you've called us to a holy life. Our Father, I pray for each one here that you'll give us by your grace the help we need to function in obedience to you, no matter what the difficulty is, that we would maintain a testimony that's pure and undefiled by trials, by the world, by our sin. Remind us that you're holy, that you're our Father, that you're our judge, 
that you're our Redeemer. When I go through trials, Lord, severe testings, maybe not so severe, I pray you'll help me to remember these things. It's very easy, Lord, to preach and not forget what we've preached. The Apostle Paul said that's what he feared, that he would become a castaway, that when he's preached to others, he wouldn't live by what he's preached. I pray that wouldn't be true of me, only by your grace. I pray that for your people here at Lakeside, that each one of us would live holy and pure lives. We want to glorify you. We don't want a church, as we said this morning, that's just involved in programs and organization. We want a people who are involved in holy living. Thank you for this word and my own feeble attempts to communicate it. I pray that somehow you'll override that and you'll communicate with each of our hearts and cause us to reflect on it and be changed by it because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can have hope and behave properly when trials come because God is holy. As such, we ought to be holy. God is our Father, and we ought to live to please Him. I'm so glad you were able to tune in for today's verse-by-verse broadcast with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. If you missed part of today's lesson, I would encourage you to visit versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Archives tab and get caught up. You can also find more information about the Verse by Verse podcast. In our next session, we will continue in our walk through 1 Peter. And I hope you can join us then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.